welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We are going to hear a Markin sandwich today. And I hope that doesn't mean you're going to make you hungry. But uh, Mark and Sandwich is a story in Mark. There are 12 of them where the gospel writer starts a story and then brings in a second story and then finishes the first. And so they're meant to work together. They're meant to offer life and nuance and meaning to each other and to kind of tell a, a fairly complex message using some stories. And so they'll often present contrasts things that don't seem to fit, and then they'll offer parallels. It's just a technique. So we're going to read this. We're going to hear the stories, look at the obstacles that the characters overcome, and then we're going to talk about how we can understand their witness and the way that they act in faith. So Mark 5, chapter 21, verses 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kum, 
which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. I took this picture in Israel. It's a large painting that hangs on the wall of the basement of a church in Magdala. Have you heard of the town Magdala? I know you've heard of one of the former residents, Mary, the Magdalene. And there are many rumors about Mary. Attempts have been made to soil her reputation. Maybe you've heard people talk about that she's a prostitute, even though nowhere in Scripture does it say so. Instead, she is said to have been healed from many demons or many ailments because they tied those two things together. If you had an ailment, it was because of a demon. She was a close follower of Jesus, was actually one of his financers. She was the first eyewitness to the resurrected Christ, and she was the first apostle sent to preach the good news that Christ lived. Mary. This painting resides in her hometown. Now, it's obviously a picture of the woman who reaches out to touch Jesus. There's nothing to say that these stories are connected, but something has moved them in their own land to put this painting on the wall at Mary's church. Was Mary the woman? Maybe Mary was the little girl. Or maybe their healings were just so right in the same realm as Mary's that what better place to hang a painting of a nameless woman in a place that speaks of God's goodness through Jesus Christ? We don't know. But it's a great painting, isn't it? And it's huge. And it just gives some humility. She's down at the ground. Jairus, one of the leaders of the local synagogue, we read in the story, was as a man of some honor in the town, as, a, as a, one of a few leaders of the synagogue, for sure, in a smaller area, just as Jesus had gotten off the boat. And Jairus will probably be like many of us. If you're a public figure in any way, you know, when controversy comes, you can just kind of steer clear right? You might have the pressure to to join in or refute it, whatever. Jesus has arrived and represents a kingdom in a land where there are already kingdoms. Talking about the kingdom of God, where there's Herod and Caesar. This was political. Jairus, I imagine, might have on an ordinary day, just maybe step back and just watch from from a distance. Because if either of those other kings caught wind that somebody's walking around preaching a new kingdom, they're going to be killed which eventually Jesus was. So Jairus, he has a responsibility. See, it wasn't, it wasn't the locals that usually caused trouble for Jesus. It was usually the non-locals, the Pharisees, the Herodians, who showed up to make sure things were going as they saw fit. Jairus probably knew about Jesus, but knowing there are eyes everywhere, may have just stood back. But this was a different day. Because Jairus wasn't just a political figure in this moment. He was a father in this moment. His daughter was sick, dying. And so the politics of the situation, the cultural standards for how he would act toward a holy man, the social honor of his role as the leader of a synagogue, and the danger of Jesus' message didn't matter to Jairus. 
He found Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he begged him to heal his daughter, his little girl. He overcame this obstacle, all these things that said you shouldn't do this. Even the crowd he had to push through to get there, and that is where he fell. He had faith in Jesus' ability to heal his daughter. How he had that faith, I don't know, but he had it. Well, we know it's from God, but how did God bring that to him? The humility of this moment is great. So we're in the middle of this moment. Jesus says, yes, I'll go with you. And then we hear of a nameless woman who has come there to seek out Jesus. Now, it seems innocent enough that she touched him secretly. But what you don't know is that she's been, she's been bleeding. Yes, that's in the story. But in their culture, anytime there's something coming from your body, it is unclean. It's very taboo. So if she's been bleeding for 12 years, she has been unclean. For 12 years. And if anyone was around her and was rumored to have maybe touched her, they would have to go through seven days of ritual cleansing to be deemed clean again. So people probably avoided her. Maybe people knew her when they saw her, the bleeding woman, they might call her. Maybe the kids had teasing names. We don't know that. But we know she has spent everything she has trying to solve this problem. That's not just a physical problem. It is a problem for her relationships and her, and her own community. And then she hears of Jesus coming ashore. So she does what she shouldn't do, and she leaves her house. Then she does what she shouldn't do, and she weaves her way through the crowd, no doubt touching people. And then she somehow manages not to be recognized by her people. And then she does what she shouldn't do, which is touch a man, a holy man, Make him unclean. So you can see why she was secretive. It wasn't just her trying to avoid things for her, but probably trying to avoid problems for him. No one knows. And I'll just touch his clothes. But Jesus has none of this. Jesus senses power has left him. What that means, I don't know. He says, who touched me? Bravely and humbly, and I'm guessing fearfully, she stood forward to admit what she had done. I don't know what she would have expected, thought that he might have been ready to say to her. After all, she defiled him. He's going to have to be cleaned and go seven days before he can be made clean again if she admits that she touched him. But she does, because he asked. And Jesus turns to her and says, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Faith has made you well. He translated either way. And then he says, go in peace and be healed. Now, we know the woman's already experienced healing when, he, when she touches him. She felt it. He felt it. But then he says, yeah, your faith has healed you, saved you, made you well. But then he says, go in peace and be healed. Healed of what? She's already healed. He called her daughter and lifted her up as this precious person in right relationship with him, saying to the public around him, there's no problem with our relationship. What she's done is fine. Restoring her honor. So what is he thinking she's going to be healed from? She'd been unclean for 12 years. Socially isolated for 12 years. We struggled to do it for 12 months. And some of us never even made it there. No doubt, She was a victim of gossip and shame. She no longer bleeds now. But she's been called daughter by a holy man, uplifted 
as an example of great faith in front of everybody. She can now go and present herself to do the ritual cleansing, to be clean, to be admitted back into the community where no longer people will recoil from her presence. Not only that, but now people will say, she's a great example of faith. What would that do for you? She not only stopped bleeding, but then she was restored fully in status in the eyes of the community, and we still tell her story today. Pretty amazing. Not what she expected. Great scene until suddenly it's interrupted by someone who came coming and saying, Jairus, your daughter has died. Let the preacher go. Teacher. I imagine the shock Jairus might have felt in the moment. I mean, if you don't have kids, you know kids that you care about. You know someone who has kids to be told that they're past. To have felt already that going to Jesus and thinking every second mattered and if we could just have hurried to get there and I could have gotten the crowd out of the way. Maybe if Jesus hadn't stopped and talked to this woman, maybe we would have made it. And as whatever stirring in Jairus's mind, Jesus says, hey, don't fear. Just believe. Just have faith. You came to me in faith. Keep believing. So Jesus arrives, confronts the scene at Jairus' house, takes a select few in, takes the daughter, the same word, by the hand, and says, rise up, little girl. The word anastas or anasteo, it's the same word for resurrection. Rise up, little girl. First, Jesus had said, she's not dead, she's asleep. And then Jesus goes in and rises her up, and she walks around, and she eats. Now imagine this little girl in her own time, because I'm sure we're picturing a little girl, but if you think bleeding makes you unclean, being dead makes you unclean. You aren't allowed to touch somebody that's dead. So if you are dead, even if you're brought back to life, what will people say? Would she be known as the dead girl? Would she be the subject of ridicule by her peers for something that happened to her beyond her control, just like the other woman? At 12 years old, she's almost ready to be married, because usually at 13, you were betrothed and married by 14. Aren't we glad that that's changed? Who would marry her? The dead girl. In a society like theirs, a patriarchy and honor and shame, no one's going to take that dishonor on. She can't be married, then she'll never have an identity in that culture, because it's the man that gives you identity. Jesus walked into that house and said, she's not dead, she's sleeping publicly. And then walks in and brings her out. She must have just been sleeping. They don't know. She's not the dead girl. She's the risen girl, but she was sleeping. She's restored to life as it was before, but without the social baggage and shame, because Jesus made sure that she was not only healed, but she was restored. This, these stories, this sandwich, two daughters, 12 years, a flourishing of life lost, but then restored by Jesus. Many questions come from this passage. Why didn't Jesus heal everyone? Why those two? Why not others? Why not people I know? You know. Why doesn't Jesus keep everyone from dying? Did he linger on the road knowing she would die? letting Jairus go through that. The kingdom of God brought into the world by Jesus, 
through his life, death, and resurrection is not about, it's not focused on, it's not all encompassed on individual healing or salvation. That was never the point. It's part of it, but it's not the end. The kingdom's about the healing and salvation and flourishing of everything. All of creation, the earth, the skies, the creatures, humanity, the nations. There are many questions that come from this assertion that the Bible makes several times. I don't have all the answers. <laughs> what I know is that there are people that have been restored. In the Bible, since then, in my life, I have experienced restoration. I know some of you have. This is the work SOAR does. Restoration engages with, engages with this every day. Women confronting their past and what has happened and the baggage and the social issues that come, the wrongs done to them, the way it's defined them, the way that others place stigma on them, the weight it brings. But like Mary and like these women, the women at SOAR, we are all offered the chance to experience healing and restoration. We're all offered that opportunity. Now, there are many obstacles in the way. Amen? You might be saying, what? Well, you're going to have to live differently when you start down this path with Christ. You will live differently. It means you're going to be subject to many questions by people, and they may try to soil your reputation. Some may doubt your restoration. You may be struggling with yourself for a long time to come. It may take a while. Pain, tears, it's part of it. We're not very good with that part of it, but it's part of it. Humility must be a way of life. We're not very good at that. Well, I'll speak for myself. I'm not very good at that. The most humble person, raise your hand. Given all that we strive for in our lives, we want to have good social status. We want to be seen as good people in our community, and we spend a lot of effort making that happen. We like wealth. We want security. We spend and live excessively. We all do. We live with a lot more than what we need. We maintain the appearance of intelligence and strength to our friends and family. We maintain a sense of assurance that we know ourselves. We know about other people. We know about the world and we know about God. We all are there. Will we fall at the feet of Jesus? Or will it take a tragedy or a threat to us before we abandon these temporary aspirations that we may approach Jesus with boldness, with faith? Will it take others speaking on our behalf? Maybe. Will it take exhausting all other options first? For some it does, myself included. Will we reach out to Jesus alone to make us live? Will we unashamedly fall on our knees and make a scene as we plea for life? Or will we quietly sneak up from behind and maybe go unnoticed? They all are acts of faith, and they all bring restoration. So friends, the good news of the kingdom is that Jesus Christ restores us to life if we but approach him in any kind of faith. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, what you've said, what you've thought, where you've been, you are a daughter, a son of God. You are a brother, a sister of Christ. Your faith in Christ will help you overcome any obstacle that stands in your way on the road to healing 
Maybe you need to be touched by Jesus. Maybe you need to reach out to touch him. Maybe you've already been healed and were simply invited to keep going into restoration. Whatever it is, I invite you to go in faith. Go in faith in Jesus Christ and be restored to life in his kingdom. Amen? Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.